Radio. This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Twenty years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Some good advice from Mark Twain. You're listening to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. I'm your host, Donna Haleson, and in this episode, we'll be considering what it can be like to throw off those bow lines, to sail away from the safe harbor, to explore, to follow your dreams, to discover. We'll get after all of that when we return from some commercial messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. It was more than 50 years ago when John Steinbeck heard the call of what he termed bumdom. He answered that summons by setting out in search of America in his three-quarter ton pickup truck with his little house, which was built like a small boat cabin atop it. On the side of the vehicle, in 16th century Spanish script, he painted the word Rothenante, a nod to Don Quixote's worn-out, broken-down horse. In Cervantes' novel, Rothenante was a mirror of his rider, old, worn out, and struggling to live beyond its capacities. Steinbeck, at age 58, related to that image. Along with Rothenante, the author's other companion on the journey would be his old blue French gentleman poodle, Charles Le Chien, better known as Charlie. The dog was a born diplomat that preferred negotiating to fighting, a canine who knew a little poodle English but who would respond quickly only to commands in French. As Steinbeck made final preparations to hit the road, friends came to visit at his then home in Sag Harbor. And in his friends' eyes, Steinbeck saw something that he was to see over and over again in every part of the nation he was to explore. A burning desire to go, to move, to get underway, to travel anywhere, free and unanchored, any away. From any here. In the autumn of 2010, my husband Gene and I heard, as had Steinbeck, that urge, that prod, to go, to move, to get underway. As I recall, it was more a longing, really, that had built up in us until we could deny that longing no longer. 
As I sensed this burning desire within myself, I went in search of a fresh copy of Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie. And as I read the opening lines, I found my heart quickened by Steinbeck's enticing call to bumdom. He wrote, When I was very young, and the urge to be someplace else was on me, I was assured by mature people that maturity would cure this itch. When years described me as mature, the remedy prescribed was middle age. In middle age, I was assured that greater age would calm my fever. And now that I am 58, perhaps senility will do the job. Nothing has worked. Four hoarse blasts of a ship's whistle still raised the hair on my neck and set my feet to tapping. The sound of a jet, an engine warming up, even the clapping of shod hooves on pavement brings on the ancient shudder, the dry mouth and vacant eye, the hot palms and churn of stomach high up under the rib cage. In other words, I don't improve. In further words, once a bum, always a bum. I fear the disease is incurable. I set this matter down not to instruct others, but to inform myself. Steinbeck went on to describe this wanderlust as a kind of virus that moves in to consume an individual. When the virus of restlessness begins to take possession of a wayward man, and the road away from here seems broad and straight and sweet, the victim must first find in himself a good and sufficient reason for going. This, to the practical bum, is not difficult. He has a built-in garden of reasons to choose from. Next, he must plan his trip in time and space, choose a direction and a destination. And last, he must implement the journey, how to go, what to take, how long to stay. This part of the process is invariable and immortal. I set it down only so that newcomers to bumdom, like teenagers in new hatch skin, will not think they invented it. Then Steinbeck shared one more delicious, irresistible nugget. We do not take trips, he said. Trips take us. Once a journey is designed, equipped, and put in process, a new factor enters and takes over. A trip, a safari, an exploration is an entity different from all other journeys. It has personality, temperament, individuality, uniqueness. A journey is a person in itself. No two are alike. And all plans, safeguards, policing, and coercion are fruitless. We find, after years of struggle, that we do not take a trip. A trip takes us. Tour masters, schedules, reservations, brass-bound and inevitable, dash themselves to wreckage on the personality of the trip. Only when this is recognized can the blown-in-the-glass bum relax and go along with it. Only then do the frustrations fall away. In this, a journey, Steinbeck concluded, is much like a marriage. A certain way to be wrong is to think you control it. Well, as Jean and I prepared to lose control, to let the trip take us, it was September of 2010. Quite coincidentally, 50 years to the month since Steinbeck had set out on the road. Our Rothenante would be a brand new, nine-ton, 37-foot carriage cameo fifth-wheel trailer towed by a brand new, five-ton, Dodge Ram 3500 dually truck, a rig totaling 60 feet in length. For canine company, we would bring along our sibling pair of old English sheepdogs, Mac and Molly. Though we were outfitted with the most up-to-date conveniences, I was determined that I would not simply be a tin-can tourist. Our one desire was to experience that which was outside of our experiences. We were itching to wander, to peregrinate, to excurs, 
to explore, to rove, to roam, to ramble. And we didn't want to control the journey. We wanted the journey to reveal itself. We wanted the trip to take us. In me, part and parcel of the call to Bumdom was the need for a change. I had been deeply disappointed and derailed by an overturning in my life, and I needed distance. I was physically, emotionally, and spiritually depleted, and I was no longer willing to continue in a way of life that was draining the life out of me. I needed to lay new tracks toward respite, renewal, and relief. Like Gustave Flaubert, I was eager to be transplanted by the winds. Like Charles Baudelaire, I was eager to be in the places of departure and arrival, eager to be aboard machines of motion. Like Edward Hopper, I was seeking the poetry in a train car, the sanctuary in a coffee shop, the message in a neon sign. Like Alexander von Humboldt, I was seeking knowledge, an expansion of my understanding of the world and its workings. Like William Wordsworth, I crave the restorative power of nature. But ultimately, foundationally, through and through, what I needed most was the ministry of the sublime. I needed to hear from God. I wanted to connect with God's artistry in nature and be awed by His power breathed in and through the created order. My spirit craved healing, and I was eager to paint what I learned and saw and felt and heard and smelled, all that I experienced with every sense and every fiber of my being, with words and photographs and sketches. Helen de Botton author of The Art of Travel, a book from which I have drawn much inspiration, has lamented that there are some who have crossed deserts, floated on ice caps, and cut their way through jungles, but whose souls we would search in vain for evidence of what they have witnessed. I didn't want that to be true of myself. I wanted to be wherever I was. But I shouldn't lead you to believe that this life on the road that I was to embrace was to be only a serious, studious search for reignition. I was also up for some light-hearted, boisterous, frolic-laden, delight-filled fun. As I made plans with Jean to set off for parts unknown, I was filled with anticipation and ready to embrace the vulgar realities of wayfaring. Like Mr. Toad and his friends in Kenneth Graham's The Wind in the Willows, I delighted in considering what the open road, the dusty highway, the heath, the common, the hedgerows, and the rolling downs might hold in the way of adventure. And so, as 2010 was drawing to a close, my husband Jean and I sold our home in Pennsylvania, sold or stowed away most of our belongings, and set out to gather experiences outside of our experiences on a road trip across the United States. We had no prescribed route, so we meandered down the eastern seaboard, across the south, up through the mountain states, and out to the west coast. From Washington State, we made our way down the Oregon coast and then headed back east via a route that took us through California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and the Carolinas, all totaled over the first leg of the journey. Two years, two months, and two days, we wayfared our way through 27 states. I also took one side trip, minus Jean and the dogs, to the island of Oahu. Along the way, we met fascinating people, from gold panners and a family of wild mushroom pickers in Oregon to a moonshiner in Louisiana, from a mariachi band in Texas to Gullah Geechee sweetgrass basket weavers in South Carolina. We spent delight-filled days marveling at glorious natural wonders from the majestic Grand Canyon in Arizona to the hoodoo-filled Bryce Amphitheater in Utah. 
from the lush and soul-soothing Appalachian Mountains in Tennessee to the barren salt flats of Badwater in California's Death Valley. Initially, we would drive to a campground or RV park that was in the middle of an area we wanted to explore. We'd arrange to stay there for a few days, and then we'd unhook the trailer and set out to see what there was to see. But then, somewhere along the way, we heard about work camping. I'll tell you more about work camping and some of the adventures that followed in the days ahead when we return from these messages. So please sit, stay. We'll be right back. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. The Pet Lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friends. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at Pet Lady World. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Before the break, I began to tell you a little bit about work camping. Work camping combines part-time or full-time paid or volunteer work with RV camping. Folks who do this usually commit to spending a minimum of two to three days a week or more for a season of six months or more, working in exchange for a free campsite, free utilities, electricity, water, and sewer hookups, and a wage of some sort. Positions are available in places from RV resorts to amusement parks, national and state parks, to retail establishments and B&Bs. Looking as we were for adventure, we chose as our first work camping experience a ranch in South Dakota. Gene loved it. He learned to drive a rotary tractor with a hay rake and spent days repairing furniture and farm equipment. He also tidied up the cabins for guests. High on the list of favorite new experiences for my Massachusetts-born and bred photographer and educator husband came when he herded 250 head of cattle across eight miles of the Badlands with one other man who happened to be a real cowboy. Gene relished riding a four-wheeler around prairie dog communities, around cacti, and up and down buttes, keeping the cattle on the move. When we arrived in the Badlands, we felt as though we'd landed on another planet, and indeed the area is often used in movies to stand in for an alien planet. 
I had a good time exploring the Badlands, but not such a good time on the ranch. We were situated near the cattle pens, and the water in our trailer fed by wells didn't agree with me. I became quite sick and had to seek medical treatment. The rancher, trying to help, overchlorinated the water, and this in turn burned my sensitive skin. Jean, of course, suffered no ill effects. Another aggravation. After a good rain, we'd exit the camper and step about knee-deep into gumbo. Gumbo is a clay made up of tiny, porous particles with an incredible ability to retain water and a person's boots. There was more. Mac and Molly's penchant for rolling in burrow poop and their fascination with cow patties. We had to be very careful to steer them clear of these. The cows are injected with all kinds of vaccines, antibiotics, and medicines that eventually appear in their excrement. Now, a cow can weigh 1,000 to 1,800 pounds, and what a cow may be able to tolerate, a 100-pound dog can't. So we had to work very diligently to keep them from munching on what Mac and Molly viewed as special treats. For additional reasons that I won't touch on here, we decided to give notice within, I think, maybe the first month or two after we'd been there. A good sign that we'd made the right decision came on the day of our departure. Now, let me set this up. When we'd arrived at the ranch, we were directed to park our RV on what at the time appeared to be solid ground. No cement pad, no gravel, gumbo. We were native to Massachusetts and had lived most recently in Pennsylvania. We knew nothing about gumbo. The RV wouldn't move. It was cemented in place, its footings deep in the gumbo. The rancher had to extricate us using a front-wheel loader. He had to lift the RV and push it backwards out of the mud until we could get to a spot where we could hitch up the truck. What a mess. When the RV and the truck emerged unscathed by the experience, we all had a good laugh, and there were handshakes and hugs all around, and off we went on our merry way. We spent several days at a campground in the soothing Black Hills, where I recuperated using gentle cleansers to calm my skin and walking in green fields to calm my spirit. From here, we went on to Camp Host at a coastal RV park in Oregon, where we had a marvelous time, and um, my favorite thing, I starred as a murderer in the 1940s era staged radio play, Inner Sanctums, The Voice on the Wire. Then it was on to a vineyard in North Carolina, then a year at Grand Canyon National Park, where I served as a guide and instructor with the Grand Canyon Institute. Jean and I also worked for the Grand Canyon Association, the nonprofit partner of the park. I was two to three days a week in Kolb Studio, the home and workplace of two pioneering photographers, while Jean served at her camp's visitor center. We thoroughly enjoyed exploring, hiking, backpacking, and learning about the region. And we loved helping visitors to the canyon decide how they ought to spend, best spend, the minimum of days that, uh, that they had at the canyon. The night skies were spectacular, as were the sunsets over one of the seven great wonders of the world. In a future episode, I'll, I'll share lots more about our wonderful life at the canyon and about our days in, in Oregon and in North Carolina. I've recorded shows for Pet Life Radio already on two of the canyon's denizens, the endangered California condor and the Mexican spotted owl. Other shows you might find of interest on here feature interviews with one of the park's rangers and uh, a wildlife biologist. Well, in our travels, we have had a, a good many, a great many, we continue to have a great many surprise encounters with wild animals. And many of these we often find in new and unanticipated habitats. Our companions have included grizzlies and coyotes, bighorn sheep, prairie dogs, 
pronghorns, mountain goats, alligators, lizards, sundry insects, bald eagles, all kinds of wading birds, elk, bison, creatures of the sea, even a band of begging burrows. We've also had a good many mishaps. Our truck suffered a smashed windshield and our camper a double tire blowout on one side. After the tainted water episode in South Dakota, I also contracted Bell's palsy from overdoing the heat and wind while dry camping and hiking in Death Valley. Truth be told, we've had a good many misadventures. I am profoundly grateful, however, for every single moment. I have indeed experienced rapture on the lonely shore and have partaken of the healing solace found in pathless woods. I know now on a deeper level that polish comes often through trouble and that not a single heartbreak in one's lifetime need go to waste. All things can be used of God to develop in a person an unshakable trust. I have been where I've been, and I am where I am, and the journey is reshaping me and will be with me always. The trip I have been on is the trip on which I have been taken. Augustine described the world as a book, and he asserted that those who do not travel read only one page, With this road trip added to earlier excursions, I've now read, or at least, to the very least, perused all 50 states, all of the Canadian provinces, save for none of it, and many countries in the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and Africa. As I write this, we have settled in for a six-month stay in Big Cypress National Preserve, where we're dividing our time between exploring the Great Swamp and working in the art gallery of large-format black-and-white photographer Clyde Butcher who has been called the Ansel Adams of the Everglades. I'm continuing to reflect upon the intersection of nature, art, and my Christian faith, and I'm also growing a photography business, blogging, and adding chapters to a trilogy that I've been writing. Most of our belongings are still in temperature and humidity-controlled storage at a facility in Delaware, and we'll be leaving Florida in April with the intention of spending some time with family in North Carolina and New York. These last four years have been years of reinvention for me. In the past, when I was starting a new job, I'd head out to purchase some new suits and high heels. When I started as a guide and instructor at Grand Canyon, my purchases were a pair of hiking poles and an Osprey backpack. Here in the swamp, one needs water-resistant pants and a good hiking staff. Living and working on a ranch in the Badlands of South Dakota, at an RV park on the South Oregon coast, at a vineyard in North Carolina, in a photography studio and museum in the grandest canyon of them all, in an art gallery in the middle of a swamp. Quite a change for a girl from New England, from serving as a seminary professor and pastor, disaster responder, and director of nonprofits. I remain, as I've always been, a writer. And over these years, I've added radio host and professional nature photographer to my resume. Over this time, my great love of wildlife and wild places has deepened into a more fervent passion and advocacy. And On the Road with Mac and Molly has evolved into a program about wildlife and animal companions and the humans who have come alongside to partner, to save, to preserve, to conserve, and to advocate. Jean and I risked much to embrace this season of bumdom, but we have gained much, as J.R.R. Tolkien has rightly noted. Not all who wander are lost. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll look for me online and you'll find me on Twitter and Facebook at my blogs and, of course, right here on Pet Life Radio. In already recorded and in upcoming on-the-road podcasts, you'll hear stories from our national parks, monuments, and preserves. You'll also find everything from information on dark skies, initiatives to tiger rescues, from bird sanctuaries to habitat soundscapes, from artistic elephants to skunk ape researchers 
If you have any questions or comments about today's show, or if you have topic suggestions or you just want to chat, I'd invite you to email me at the address you'll find in my On the Road blog. And as always, I hope you'll come along next time as we head out on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.